Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, we're starting a new sermon series this week, and um, I'm going to start by um, sharing with you something that hopefully a lot of you are aware of, those long-term members and attenders here at New Life. Our vision statement as a church goes like this, we want God's kingdom to spread throughout Muncie, Yorktown, and the world as ordinary people are empowered for extraordinary living through the grace of the gospel. This is what we want by the grace of God to accomplish. And this is something that I don't think I've ever asked you, which is kind of weird because this is our vision statement, but my question to you this morning is this, are you living an extraordinary life? And if your answer to that is no, my question is why not? Why not? Now, when I say an extraordinary life, I want to be clear, I don't mean you know, finding a cure for cancer or landing a spacecraft on Mars or something extraordinary like like that. that. That's not what I'm talking about. Instead, what I mean is living a life not ordinary by the standards of the world. Are you living a life that is going to count for eternity? Are you living a life that is distinct from the way those outside the church and the way those who don't know Jesus are living? Are you living a godly life? is really my question. And if not, why not? Our vision statement is telling us what we want is people to be empowered for extraordinary living. Now, the good news that I want to tell you today is this, is that the way to live in an extraordinary life is a very ordinary way. You don't have to be an extraordinary person to live an extraordinary life. Extraordinary lives happen through very ordinary means, and by that I mean the basic spiritual disciplines that God has given to us in his word. Sometimes they're called the means of grace. And so this sermon series that we're beginning today, I'm calling Basic Training. And we're going to be looking at these basic tasks, disciplines, means of grace that God has given us in his word by which we grow. Now, I want to be very clear here at the outset. Um, Nobody is saved by their performance or by their discipline. Salvation is not achieved by our discipline. It's received by faith. But once you've come to that place where you receive Jesus as your Savior and you become a Christian, the only way for you to really grow and move forward and mature is through the spiritual disciplines. I mean, sometimes it seems we have this tendency to look for these extraordinary things to happen to kind of move us forward in our Christian faith, where actually it doesn't work that way. We move forward in our faith through actually very routine, mundane, ordinary tasks over the course of our entire lives. And God is very clear as to what those are. And that's what we're going to talk about in this sermon series. Here's what a guy named J.C. Ryle says about the spiritual disciplines. They are appointed channels through which the Holy Spirit conveys fresh supplies of grace to the soul. God will never bless the soul of that person who pretends to be so high and spiritual that he can get on without them. You're just not going to be able to get on and mature uh, and live an extraordinary life 
without the scriptures, without prayer, without fasting, without fellowship, without worship. These are the things we're going to be talking about over the course of the next several Sundays. So today we're beginning by talking about Bible reading as a means of grace or as a spiritual discipline. And we're going to look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 4, these first 11 verses. Um, This is uh, the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness the very end of chapter 3, Jesus has just been pronounced to be the Son of God uh, at his baptism as the Spirit came upon him and the Father declares, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so now we move into chapter 4 where the status of Jesus as the Son of God is tested as he goes into this wilderness and is uh, tempted or tested by Satan. So let's read this passage. Please stand for, God's, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. God in heaven, please, by your spirit, open our eyes, soften our hearts to receive and believe the wonderful things that are in your word for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I hope you'll see, we're not going to unpack this passage here in great detail. This is going to be a very topical sermon, so we're going to be looking throughout the scriptures to see what it says about this uh, discipline of of Bible reading. But this passage kind of gets us started, launches us into this subject, and I hope you noticed when we were reading this passage how Jesus was a man immersed in scripture. Every time Satan brought a temptation to him, Jesus responded with this phrase, it is written. In verse 4, in verse 7, in verse 10, it is written, Jesus did battle with the devil by the use of Scripture. These passages that Jesus uh, is quoting are all from Deuteronomy, and um, it's amazing to consider how totally immersed in Scripture Jesus was, even to the point, you might remember, that when he was hanging on the cross, dying for our sins in utter pain and humiliation on his lips with scripture. 
Psalm 22 came out of his mouth. Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in his lowest and most painful moment, Jesus was thinking and meditating upon Scripture. Now, I want you to look particularly at verse 4 because this is kind of the theme verse, I guess, for this sermon. After the first temptation, Jesus answers and says to Satan, it is written, quoting here from Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what this passage means is that we as Christians are to be sustained by the scriptures, by the word of God. That just as our bodies need regular intake of food in order to be healthy, so does our soul need regular intake of Scripture in order to be healthy. And just as if a person never eats, that person will wither away and eventually die. The same is true for the person who has no exposure to the Word of God. That person's soul will wither away and die. We are called to live not just by our immediate physical needs, but we live spiritually by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This is a very high statement and affirmation of the priority of God's word. And so this leads us to think about how is it that we kind of intake God's word. And so that leads us to the discipline of uh, approaching God's word. And before we, we get into this, I want to say something that, that I acknowledge, and that is when we talk about spiritual disciplines, very often we all kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of sigh maybe because the spirit is exasperating. Uh, it, it seems very often the spiritual disciplines are occasions for us to feel guilty because we never feel like we're doing enough, we never feel like we're praying enough, we never feel like we're reading enough, we don't feel like we're fasting enough, and very often spiritual disciplines just become a cause for us to want to give up. And I want to help us as we go through this sermon series and this sermon today to not think of the spiritual disciplines as things that you're doing to try to get God to do good things for you. Don't think of them that way. Don't think of them as things I got to do in order to get God to love me. No, God already loves you. God already has redeemed you. God already has saved you. You're already justified before his law. We heard that from Galatians 2. We don't do the spiritual disciplines to achieve justification or salvation or redemption. Think of the spiritual disciplines like this. They are ways for you to put yourself in the path of God's grace. God's grace moves through particular channels, just like water moves through pipes. There are certain channels through which the grace of God constantly flow. And if you want to receive that grace, you've got to put yourself in the pathway of those channels and those pipes. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are. It's ways of just kind of like flipping on the switch so that God's grace can come to you. God's grace doesn't come in an unlimited number of ways. There are particular means by which God sends his grace to us. And when we engage in these disciplines, we're opening up the floodgates of God's grace that we might receive them and be encouraged and grow and move toward being extraordinary people. So think of the disciplines in that way. So, here's the question. How can you receive the grace available to you in the Bible? As we think of Bible 
reading here today. How can you receive the grace of God available to you in the Bible? There are six things, everybody. Not three things today. Six things that you can do. Opportunities for you to receive the grace of God that is available to you in the Bible. The first thing is very simple. This, hear the Bible. Hear the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you see how grace is at work in the word in this passage? Faith comes from hearing. When we hear the word of Christ, our faith is strengthened. Our faith grows up. That's grace. That's not something we're necessarily doing. We're simply hearing. The word is coming, and then God is doing something. That's something that you have to believe and be confident of as you expose yourself to God's word. He is at work, whether you see it or feel it or know it or not. It's kind of like when parents raise children and they don't really see the child grow from week to week to week. And then, you know, Uncle Joe comes by who hasn't been to the house for six or seven years. And what does he say? I can't believe how much you've grown up. Look how big you're getting. Because that child has been fed and has been growing over the years, even though the parents didn't even notice it, the growth has been happening and it's been very real. And spiritual disciplines are the same way. Our growth is often slow, quiet, imperceptible. But as we hear the word of God in this case, our faith grows. I remember having a conversation with somebody who said, you know, I just have such a hard time. I'm just so filled with doubt. I just can't believe. And I said, well, do you read the scriptures? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he goes, because I don't want to. And I didn't say this, but I just thought to myself, well, there's your answer. That's why you're having a hard time believing. That's why you're so filled with doubt. You won't hear the scriptures. If you won't submit yourself to the word of Christ, your faith will not grow. So how does this happen? Primarily, how do we hear the scriptures? Well, it's what's happening right here. Primarily, it's by coming to your local church and hearing the word preached. That's how you hear the word. Now, there are a lot of ways you can hear the word today. You can go online. There's podcasts. There's ways to listen to sermons online. There's more opportunities than ever before to hear the word. But the primary way is through the, uh, the sitting beneath the preaching of God's word. So that's one way to receive the grace of God available to you in the Bible is to hear the Bible. Secondly, you can read the Bible. This is really pretty simple. Read the Bible. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Now, of course, in this passage, it's Paul telling Timothy to read the scriptures to his people, to the congregations that he's been given charge of, because that was the primary way that people received God's word. They didn't have personal copies of the Bible that they could read at home. They had to go to where the people of God were worshiping and hear the word read and preached. But friends, it's very different for us today, isn't it? I mean, since the times of the Reformation, we have our own personal copies of the Bible written in our own language with the most scholarly updated translations. 
And we don't have to go somewhere to hear the word. We can go off the bookshelf at our home and sit down in a chair and open up the word of God and read it. Now, I know it doesn't seem like any big deal to you, but it is a big deal. Because for most of human history, people did not have that privilege, did not have that honor. But we have that honor. I mean, there's sometimes as I get into ministry and I get kind of tired and I'll say to Mary sometimes, oh, I have to preach this week. And Mary will correct me and say, no, you get to preach this week. And it's the same thing with re- reading the Bible. It's not I have to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. You get to read the scriptures in your home with an open Bible in your language on your lap. J.C. Ryle again, he said, happy is he who owns a Bible, but happier is he who reads it. Lots of us have Bibles, probably all of us have Bibles sitting on your shelf, but are you reading it? You might think, well, where do I start? I want to read the Bible, but it's so big, it's so complicated, I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, it, I, I would suggest this. Um, where to start, first of all, I, I would say read the book of Mark. One of the Gospels, the shortest of all the Gospels, gives a very clear depiction of the life of Jesus. Best place to start, I think. After that, I'd go on to 1 John. We just did a sermon series on 1 John. 1 John, only five chapters. These are pretty brief, short books. 1 John just gives the basics of Christian living, that you may know that you have eternal life. And third, I would go to the book of Ephesians, just six chapters. Read through it. Just commit yourself to a paragraph a day. Just start small. Maybe work up to a chapter a day. And read through these books. And after you get through those, if you want to know where to go next, come and talk to me. And we'll talk about where to go next. But read the Bible. God's grace is flowing through the scriptures if you'll just open the pipes and let it get to you through the reading of God's word. Okay, the third thing. Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 It says, now, these Jews, now, this is referring to Jews in the city of of Berea, and um, it says these Jews were, (coughs) excuse me, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Paul had just been in Thessalonica, now he gets to this new area, and here these Jews receive the word with all eagerness. So Paul is preaching the word, and these Bereans are eager to hear it. And they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things, that is the things that Paul was saying, to see if what he was saying was true, to see if what he was saying matched up with the scriptures. Now, that word for examine, it means to investigate something in detail or to research something thoroughly. That's study. And notice these Bereans, we have nothing in the text to indicate that they were scholars that they had PhDs or that they were seminary professors. These are ordinary people who were just so eager to hear the Scriptures and so eager to want to know the truth that when Paul preached, they went back and studied their Bible to see if what he said was true. Think of study this way, if by way of comparison. If you think of reading and hearing as kind of like raking your lawn, you know, you're just kind of getting the leaves as they're spread out on your grass and you're kind of pulling them together, you're raking across the surface of the lawn. That's like reading or hearing. Study is like when you dig a hole in the ground 
and you get deep down in there in one particular place. That's study. We read for breadth. We study for depth. If you want to get into the depth of the scriptures, you can engage in more prolonged study. Friends, you don't have to be a college graduate or super intelligent to, to do this. There are so many tools available to you to aid in your study. So, for instance, um, if you don't have an ESV study Bible, I would encourage you to get one as soon as possible. This is a wonderful study tool. This is like a mini seminary education in one book. Multiple notes on the various passages of Scripture, articles dealing with historical issues and theological issues, uh, very, very helpful. I would highly recommend that to you. There, there's also the option of looking at commentaries. Uh, this on the screen is called the New Bible Commentary. It's a one-volume commentary. It's a large book that's a commentary on the whole Bible. But it's very good, very concise, very clear. Of course, you can get commentaries on individual books of the Bible. Uh, you can do it that way as well and get into even more detail. But if you're looking for a broad overview commentary, the new Bible commentary is really good. And then dictionaries of the Bible are very, very helpful. Um, IVP has these dictionaries of different segments of the Scripture. So this is a dictionary of Paul and his letters. There's another dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. There's another dictionary of the Pentateuch. There's another dictionary of the historical books. And these dictionaries will open up some things you find in the Scripture and explain to you in more detail the history and the culture surrounding those things. Uh, these books are not cheap, but they'll last you forever and they will help you uh, in studying the Bible. Another way to receive the grace of God. Fourth, meditate on the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates. So if we go back to my little analogy, raking the leaves is like hearing or, or reading. Um, digging a hole is like studying. But what happens if when you dig that hole you find a big chunk of gold? What do you do with that? Well, you pull that gold up out of the hole and you marvel at it, right? You can't believe what you just found. And you turn that thing over and you look to the top and the bottom and the side and you brush it off and you make it shine. You think about it, you dwell on it, you marvel at it. It's a chunk of gold that you just found. And that's what meditation is like. When you find a chunk of gold in the scriptures, you stop, you park yourself, and you think about it, you ponder it, you reflect on it. You don't rush past it. I would say that any time you're reading the Bible, what, what you ought to do is wait until you get to a chunk of gold. Because you'll get there eventually. You know, very often when, when you're reading the Bible, I know some things that they don't make sense, you don't understand, a lot of things seem kind of irrelevant maybe. Well, you know, that, that's okay. You don't have to necessarily stay there. Just keep going, keep moving, 
And eventually you're going to get to something that's going to leap off the page and grab your heart. Something that's going to strike you as particularly wonderful or convicting or challenging or instructive. It'll happen if you give it time. And when you find that verse, and I say read until you find it. Once you find it, put the car in park and stay there. Pitch a tent and dwell there for a while. Reflect on it, ponder it, turn it over. This is uh, what the Puritan um, Thomas Watson says. Um, The reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Meditate on the word. Uh, This is so... I mean, I'm one who recommends, you know, trying to read through the Bible in a year, and it's something that I try to do. But I will say there's one kind of um, drawback to that, is that when you're trying to get through large amounts of text, it's really hard to meditate. And I just confess to you that I haven't really worked out the balance yet. I want to get through the Bible in a year, but man, I've got to pass over a lot of information to do it. But I'm tempted to say it's better to meditate than to get through the Bible in a year. Meditation is so important for receiving the grace of God available to us in the Scriptures. So, the fifth thing, memorize the Bible. Memorize it. Now, I'm not saying memorize the whole Bible. I mean, if you can do that, more power to you. I'm sure it's been done. I'm guessing it's done. I don't know. Has it been done? Has anybody memorized the whole Bible? I don't know. But we can memorize parts of the Bible. Psalm, Psalm 119, 11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we store up the word? How do we place it in our heart and get it in there so that it stays there? To memorize it, that's how. I mean, when Jesus was dealing with the temptations from Satan in the wilderness, Don't you see that he probably had those passages memorized? I mean, I don't think that Jesus had, you know, a pocket Bible that he pulled out and read to Satan. He didn't have it on his phone. Those verses spilled off his lips because he had them memorized. Not only did he have them memorized, but he knew that they were appropriate for what Satan was saying to him. Now, that's Jesus, of course, and we don't have the same abilities as he did, but there is an example for us in the Psalms in particular, to tuck away and store the Word in our heart. Friends, you know, when you think about the the decisions that you make throughout the day and your behavior throughout the day, you know, very little of your decisions and your behavior are based on any kind of sustained reflection. You know, most of what you do, the great majority of what you say and decisions you make are things that just you make instinctively just based on how you feel about it at the moment. It's just something that you decide based on the kind of person you are. So many of our decisions flow from our character, from what we have been developing in ourselves throughout our entire lives. And what this task of memorization is telling us is that If we hide the word in our heart, do you see what the psalmist is saying? It's so that I might not sin against you. It's our behavior flows from what's in our heart. And so I ask you, how do you think you would be different if Scripture were stored away in your heart? 
How do you think that would affect the way you relate to your spouse and the way you relate to your kids and your attitude towards your job? How would it be affected if the things that were flowing up from your heart were not your unbelief and your anger and your discontent, but the words of God? That's what happens when we memorize the scriptures. Um, My mother's not here today, but my mom's almost 84 years old, and Mary and I sometimes marvel as we're talking at the scripture that comes to her memory. She'll just pull things up that she learned when she was in grade school 70 years ago, and they're still there in her heart. She's still able to bring them to her lips. So you might think, again, where do I start? It sounds like a challenge, I know, and maybe you think, I can't memorize, I'm not smart enough. Yes, you can, you can memorize. Yes, you can. (laughs) You have things memorized. I could ask you a lot of questions and you would answer from your memory various things going on in in your life. You, You can do it. I would just say this, start small when you memorize the Bible. Choose passages like 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It goes on, but, but start there. It, it, it's pretty simple. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Commit that to memory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. These are foundational gospel passages that are easy to memorize. It might take you a little longer than it takes others. That's okay. But take the time, and you could know a lot more scripture than someone who's a lot smarter than you because you've taken the time to do it. Just take a little chunk, for for by grace you have been saved. Just start there. Repeat that over and over again. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. Close your Bible. Go eat breakfast. And then try to remember, what was that phrase that I was trying to memorize? Oh yeah, for grace you have been saved. Once you get that down, go on and then add the next phrase. Put them both together. Repeat them over and over again. Go about your day. Come home at night. What was that passage I was thinking about this morning? See if you can do it. Maybe it's gone. There's nothing there, okay? Go back, start again. That means you have to repeat the phrases more often. Repeat it over and over and over again until it sticks, and then go to the next phrase, and eventually you'll have these passages down. I I really believe that there's like a point of no return you know, where, you, where, where you'll get a passage in your head to the point where you can't lose it. I don't know what that is. It's probably different for different people. I think it's the case for my mom. I know there are certain passages I have in my head that I don't rehearse ever, but they're still there. And the same can be true for you. Memorize the Bible. Last thing. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that we got to like, be doing all of these things every single day. <laughs> it can seem kind of overwhelming. But at different seasons of your spiritual life, when the time is appropriate, these are, again, ways to receive the grace of God. Apply the Bible. Apply it. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 says this. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Your attitude toward the Bible when you read it and study it and meditate upon it should not be, hmm, this has a lot of good things for so-and-so to hear. 
you know, I really, I, I'm going to memorize this because it's going to really help me when I have an argument with my spouse. You know, that, that's not the idea when, when you read the Bible. The, the idea is to apply it to your heart. When you read the Bible, you have to know that that passage is written to you, to you personally. It's written for your training. It's written for your correction. It's written for your equipping so that you will be equipped for every good work. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, James says. We're not reading the Bible just because it's interesting. We're not reading it just because we're curious. We're not reading it because it's entertaining. Eventually, and most fundamentally, you read it to apply it. That's how you move toward living extraordinarily, is seeing that this scripture is for you. Here's what Donald Whitney says, the words of scripture must be understood to be applied, but until we apply them, we don't really understand them. Until you put it to work in your life, you haven't really understood it because you haven't grasped that it's written to you. So some questions to ask when you're reading the Bible. How do you apply it? Well, one thing is what is true? Just two questions I think are really important to ask when you read the Bible. What is true? First of all, what is this saying is true about God? What is it saying is true about me? What is this saying is true about Jesus, about the gospel? What is the truth in this passage? And then secondly, what to do? What is true and what to do? What am I going to do in response to what I'm reading here? Is there something for me to believe? Is there something about God I should be praising? Is there something that I should be thankful for? Is there some sin I should be repenting of? Is there someone I need to approach to ask for forgiveness? Is there some kind of an attitude adjustment that I need to take on in my life? Is there a savior that I need to trust? Is there is there an attitude that I need to change about my approach to eternal life? Do I need to give up on all of my self-effort to make God love me and shift my confidence to what Jesus has done? That, that's the way you apply the word. It's not always going out and necessarily doing something with your hands. Sometimes applying the word is a shift in perspective or a shift in belief. And certainly, the most important thing in the scriptures is what it tells us about Jesus and what he's done for us and how he's come to save us and all that he's done to redeem us. And so the most important thing that I can tell you about the scriptures, friends, is when you're reading it, look for Jesus in the scriptures. That's, that's harder to do in some places than others, but Jesus tells us that the entire Old Testament is about him, that it's all pointing to him in some way. It's all about Jesus. And in fact, Matthew chapter 4 that I read to get this started is really not primarily intended to give us a lesson on, on Scripture reading. I, I, you know, I, I don't think that I've mishandled the text. I think it's a secondary point. I think there is a lot in there in Matthew 4 about Scripture and the way Jesus has handled it. And certainly that passage, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God is very relevant. But really that passage is more about the work of Jesus for us. Remember temptation by Satan. You remember where we first saw that? It was, wasn't it Adam who was first tempted? 
by Satan? And do you remember he was tempted in a beautiful garden? Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Do you remember when Adam was tempted? He was tempted with his lovely bride next to him. Jesus was tempted alone. And yet Adam disobeyed God, rejected his authority, while Jesus obeyed everything that the Father required of him. If there was ever anyone who lived by every word that comes from the mouth of God, it was Jesus Christ. It was his obedience, even his obedience, all the way to the cross that gives us hope. Not our obedience and how much we read the scriptures, but how much we learn in the scriptures about this Jesus who's been obedient for us. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous who trust in him. So, read your Bibles, hear your Bibles, study them, meditate on them, memorize them, and apply them, and the grace of God will flow richly into your lives. We will talk about prayer next Sunday as we consider further basic training in growing to be extraordinary people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we live in a day and age where we can study it and have it in our laps. And God, I pray that our faith would grow as we hear, read, study, meditate, memorize, and apply your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.